1: Here we are with the Warrior Poet Project podcast. I believe it's number 15, but I've had to suffer through a brief hiatus as I've moved my podcast studio. So here we are in a slightly echoey room at my house with none other than the Wengren brothers, and they are master poker players and working to be masters at life, as are we all. So, pleasure to guy- have you guys here, and uh, looking forward to. Getting in and exploring some things with you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So let's talk about poker first. All right. You know that's, um, you know that's certainly uh, the largest, brightest feather in your peacock cap here. So let's uh, let's chat about that. If you guys want to go through briefly, kind of some of the the highlights of your own careers, let our audience know a bit about yourselves, and uh, take it from there.
2: Well, I guess I'll I'll start off. Uh, I started playing in. College when I was on the basketball team, and I would play like five dollar games with my friends stuff like that. I'd literally never heard about like Texas Hold'em until then, and a buddy of mine introduced me, and I just started playing. And I just I'm so competitive by nature that I just had to be like the best, so right. I just kept going until. I was able to break through, but there were a lot of tough times man coming up like.
1: So so I mean, at, there's a certain point like I understand that and I want to be mm-hmm. the best at everything. And I like playing poker too, but there's never been to me that kind of opportunity to really kind of turn the corner and put the hammer down. There must yeah. have been a decision where you were like either I'm really fucking good at this and I should continue or I'm just going to doggedly stay with it and make sure I'm good at that. So what, how did that kind of come well, about? I think there
3: were specific circumstances that are unique to our age demographic, which was when we both started learning, we were in college. So you have a mm-hmm. lot of, so a bit of disposable income, and right. depending on how much studying you want to do, a bit more time on your hands. Um, and that corresponded right with the online poker boom. So you went from being able to play in a casino to being able to play in your dorm room. Right. And you went from being able to play maybe... 15 or 20 hands in an hour at a casino to playing a hundred hands in that, in that same time. Well, plus period. you have
1: to have access to a casino, which is, yeah, a yeah. So, you know, so
3: geography is no longer a problem. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, let Matt take that question, but I think it all started with the fact that we, we were very lucky to be in university. So we had extra free time mm-hmm. and to have access to playing online, which is something that even five years before wouldn't have really existed in the same capacity. Makes sense. Yeah. The, uh, to, to answer your question,
2: um, I would say, like, the the turning point was I was in my college dorm room with one semester to go, and I don't suggest this for other people. This is just my path. I I woke up and I asked myself, am I happy here? And the answer was no. So uh, I was just kind of learning how to play, and I was like, just winning a little, losing a little, wasn't ever making any serious money. I think, you know, I didn't have that much to my name, you know, under five figures, and... I just told myself, you know what, I'm just gonna go to Vegas and that's it. And I'm just gonna be successful. And that was it.
1: And so you dropped out of school?
2: Dropped out of school. Uh, yeah, it was the scariest thing I've, I've
1: done. So, did you know? I mean, why did you need to go to Vegas? So, you had all the online capability there.
2: I felt like that's what a poker player would do. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know,
3: I felt like that. Was, that's how Rounders ends.
2: Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, Rounders was a, a great movie, but uh, uh, it was a good
3: movie. It was great, man. Um, so that
2: was kind of. Do you think the,
1: that movie just to, yeah? Do you think that movie helped facilitate the poker boom? A little? Oh,
3: I think that would be the third criteria. It's, you know, I think a Iron lot was, of young people yeah. had time. I think online poker was available, and it was a mix between rounders and the whole Chris Moneymaker winning the, the World Series of Poker main event in yeah two thousand three I think two thousand three I want to say, but he yeah. was a, an accountant who who turned I think ten dollars online into a ten thousand dollar entry into the main event, and then he won it for two million dollars and. And I mean, it doesn't hurt that his last name was MoneyMaker, like yeah. as far as marketing goes. But um, I think that was broadcast on ESPN. It, it was one of the first times that hole cards were shown, so people could see what the, the players had.
1: So that was a big,
3: big. I think people too. people who are our age who play poker they reference Chris MoneyMaker winning it, Rounders,
1: the movie, or both as as kind of what got and them then- into the game. The televised nature of showing the whole cards, which made it actually that a made it viable, enjoyable to watch, spectators. Yeah,
3: and, and I mentioned that we were in college, but Matt started playing five dollar games in college. I did the same thing. I was playing with friends as like mm-hmm. an excuse to drink beer on a Friday night. Right. So you know, it comes back to I think people saw it on TV. One friend was it was interested in Hold'em. You know, got their group of friends involved, and then. You know, I wasn't that person who pushed it, but I was the one who took to it, I think, more than anybody else and really enjoyed the game and wanted to pursue it um, and dedicate a lot more time to it.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, let me finish here with Matt's story. So then, at a certain point, you make the decision. Now, was it that a you're really good at this, or that you were just gonna be really good at this? I was
2: stubborn. I just, uh, I, just <laughs> I just said, you know what? I'm not gonna be stopped. I said, I'll, I'll hit roadblocks, I'm sure, but you know, as long as I get up and keep, keep going,
1: you know, right? Nothing's gonna stop Just me, dedicated so. to keep learning, staying on the path.
2: I was very dedicated. I actually stayed on a friend's couch for three months. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, until I kind of just and then we were just playing
1: online games. You so made yeah. a little extra money oh, yeah.
3: through a prop there, right? Involving a waterfall, I think.
0: Oh yeah, that was just
2: kind of a funny side story. We uh, they bet me I couldn't stay under like a waterfall in the pool. You know how they had like uh, the waterfalls coming down. Yeah. So they bet me I couldn't stay under that waterfall for uh, I think it was like an hour or something. Made a couple hundred bucks, but uh, yeah. <laughs> these guys had a little more money than that at the time. Yeah. At the time, a little bit kind of disposable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, man, it, it's uh, the great thing about it is you learn every day. Like you like yeah. it's not the same way every day. Like every hand is different you're playing different people and it's just the thing i love about it most is like it's just a constant uh test of Mm -hmm. mental fortitude and just trying to figure out strategy that you can best you know in business is the same way you have to figure out a strategy right to figure out how to sure you know get get to the point that you want to get so
1: how much do you think is innate talent like brain aptitude and skill as far as you know on a talent level um, well, I, I, you know, it's it's hard to say.
2: Um, I would say that anybody could do it, mm-hmm. um, but I would say that my background in sports and like liking video games as a kid really had to do with it. Like, uh, you know, people have told me before that poker found me. I didn't find poker, and I kind of believe that. You know, I felt like that's my path. I was a game player by nature. You know, ever since I can remember, you know, sports or video games. So I think it translated. And really how does well.
1: that help? Does that help with the management of emotional issues that come up?
2: That's one of the things that helps with. The other thing is. Um, Strategy wise, uh, I was on the chess team back in like sixth grade. And what chess mm-hmm. is about, you play chess for sure. I play yeah. chess. So, right, so chess, you know, you want to think as many moves ahead as you can, right? That's the whole goal. Yeah. And if basically. Which is can, for me about three. <laughs> that's, yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty that's good, bad. by the way. That's, that's pretty bad. good. Most that's people really good can't think that high. But, um, you know, so in poker, it's the same thing. Poker is just like chess, right. At its core. Which is, okay, if I'm going to do this, what, what are their options? You know What can they do? And how can I counteract those options? And then if you keep going further... Well, well, and
3: what do I think they're going to do? Right, what do I think right, they're most
1: likely right, to do? Right. And how do
3: I react to
2: that?
1: So how much of that is, do you think, computation? Like, for, on a backgammon table, the math wizard is you know is the champion. Like, I have a, I have a friend who's the world backgammon champion. Yeah. And he's able to calculate the odds of the dice rolling here and there, and it's, it's purely a mathematical equation for him. And he plays, he's just sharper, has a better mind than anybody else, more computer-like, yeah. and so he wins. And there's some element to that, because you're constantly calculating odds, but there's also the element of reading a human. I mean, backgammon, yeah, maybe they move some things in strategy, but it's really about what dice are most likely to come up.
3: I think more of the variables are oh, known to everybody at the table in backgammon. Mm-hmm. I think in, right. in poker, it's... Um, I think that knowing the math is really important, but you don't necessarily have to do the calculation in your head. You, If you play enough, like there's something called Poker Stove where you can put in, I can put in the hand I had, the hand you had, and calculate what the exact odds were of right. my winning or your winning. Is
0: that
1: an iPhone app? Sure, yeah, it's, you, so you can, can get it. an iPhone app,
3: um, but the whole point is when you've played for several years, when, yeah, when, when you have, have a hand assessment. that you 're interested in, yeah. you go back and you input the data and then you find out the percentages and so the next time you, uh, the next time you encounter that situation, you know what the odds are you know you might not know down to a the you know fifth percentile, but like you know pretty closely what your
1: odds of winning or losing are but that's that 's only part of it. i mean well, because we're humans, we're not machines. I mean, I'm sure that there's instances where you guys have a hand that you like. Yeah, you know, it's like well, oh, oh I, yeah, I, I like or that. Or you reaction, have a, so a far cool.
3: superior hand and you lose, and you react right. by playing worse going for, like, you know, down sure. the line. Instead of saying, okay, that happened, it's it's unlikely that that's going to happen again. But you know, if you're if you're an 80 percent favorite, still one out of five times you're going to lose that hand. Yeah, and if you react really poorly to that and you you lose your mental focus, then that's that's more important than knowing the odds and, know, and and kind of the whole idea of skill so that you might have. So
1: that goes back to your emotional, you know, emotional control which you learn in sports. Same same way with anything. Oh, yeah. Any any athletic endeavor, you get you get a bad call, you get something yeah. that goes against you, you know, it's it's number one. It's challenging to, to fight yeah. back from that. Throw uh, throw an interception. The way I describe it chunk up Matt, an airball. Exactly.
3: The way I would describe it for Matt is he he played basketball through college, so very competitive through through sports. And he also played this game called Ultima Online. We both played, which is an online multiplayer game yeah, yeah, yeah. where yeah. it's pretty easy to spend 10 hours in front like of a computer. Like Warcraft, right. So you basically took a highly competitive person and someone who's capable of sitting in front of the computer for long <laughs> hours and you combine that into a poker player. And it's pretty much the prototype you would hope for. <laughs>
2: it's true, actually.
3: Yeah. I oh, um,
2: But yeah, so like the, the odds are important. And, and the way it works is like... As a professional, over the long term, if you play a thousand hands where you're a favorite, let's say ten thousand hands, ten thousand hands where you're a favorite, you're gonna win the majority of those hands, right? But if you play two hands or five hands, you could you could it could go against the odds and you could you could lose. Sure. So a lot of the strategy happens like, okay, well, okay, I think I have the best hand, but this guy has more chips than me, and I'm risking my, my life. You know, I'm risking my tournament life, mm-hmm. which you know, what we specialize is in, in tournaments. And that's just like sometimes way more important than the odds and stuff like that but that's like something you gain well sure if you have a it seems like
1: if you have a competitive advantage in your innate skills and you're on a 50-50 hand mm-hmm. with someone it doesn't pay mm-hmm. off for you to to push in that 50-50 yeah, hand exactly because yeah. over time you'll grind you out the easier. victory and grind, you know get it easier yeah, playing exactly. higher odds you're exactly so right that, that that seems to make sense
3: oh i think there's also um I mean, for example, a, a friend of ours, Greg Merson, won the World Series of Poker Main Event this year. Mm-hmm. And Michael Phelps, who's from Maryland, so is Greg, was in the stands cheering him on because Michael Phelps plays a ton of poker. Mm-hmm. And you find that there's a lot of ex-athletes or people who have dealt with injuries who can't really do the sport that they were used to, who have kind of come into poker as their maybe the second chapter in their life right. like after the sport they played competitively because... You get that. I mean, you your blood starts racing. Like you you can it. break into I a sweat it. if you're you know if you're not used to bluffing or you're not used to having the best hand and staring someone down. And so you get all these athletes who have, have really excelled in the game. Like there's ex ex uh, soccer players, boxers, with boxers or champs. Like yeah, it's no coincidence. That yeah. I think you get that same kind the of MMA mental guys. competition. But you you know if your if your knees shot, you can still
1: play poker. Yeah, I remember I played some home games with some really big hedge fund managers. Yeah. And the stakes were not that high, but they would all all down to each one of them say, you know, when they're on a two hundred dollar hand, you know, competing in a home game in poker, they it's they're more flushed than when they're. Have a two million dollar right. yeah, trade, exactly. you know that's highly volatile, so, going the wrong direction. So Their Matt, emotions are more engaged.
3: Matt's moved to Mexico to play poker. Um, I've gone up north. I, I went to university in, in Montreal. So um, I have my girlfriend's family's in Vancouver, and I go up there to play poker so I can play online. And I stay with her uncle, who is CFO of some large companies. Really successful guy. Very very hyper competitive. And. You know, I'll be playing hundred or two hundred dollar buy-ins, and after playing long enough, you kind of you learn how to deal with the emotions. Especially if you're a guest right. in someone's house, you're not going to blow up or, or right. let out that you know frustration. This guy will be playing a six dollar tournament, which for him, you know, that would be me playing like a I don't know less. Than it would be cent. me playing a twenty-five cent tournament yeah, or something right, like that. Right, like right. for him, it's like him playing like less than a penny. Yeah, and he loses. You hear. Fucking shit, sucker! You know, he, this guy caught a flush on the river. You know, he's just—you can tell that there's a reason he got to that level in business because of the competitive nature, you know, of his personality. And, and he's not doing business anymore. You know, he does—he does the market and other things, but poker is an outlet where you can really compete against people and. and you know anyone anyone can sign up for that tournament as long as yeah. you have that six dollars or whatever it is yeah. or a hundred or a thousand or a million dollars like there is at the World Series um, there was this past summer. Man, I, I've been playing eight years and still
2: I get that feeling when I'm in a big hand, mm-hmm. and I think that's yeah, part yeah. of the reason that keeps me in it. You know, it's it makes me feel alive. Like yeah, there's something about it. It's just like you know, I, I would imagine it's how like MMA guys feel when they're in the ring, different but similar. Where it's like really competitive. It's like life or death. You know because for me when i lose it's like death you know it's like i die yeah it sucks i hate it i'm so competitive yeah no, it, and it
1: is you are especially, well, in the turn, especially in a tournament especially in a tournament you know mm-hmm. it is yeah. a kind of a virtual death and someone defeated you exactly with yeah. their wits and took well know, and they didn't the
3: necessarily outplay you either you know yeah.
1: the, and I, that's what everybody tells themselves but at the end of the day yeah. you know what do you look at you look at the chips yeah and it, there's just truth to that yes they could got lucky or whatever but you know people remember winners well, and, there's and that, that's but, how you keep score
3: yeah yeah you know? but, and at the end of the day though as a poker player if you made the right decision then you shouldn't be results oriented about losing that one time because you're you know the wins are going to rack up and you're going to win right. more than you lose because you made the right choice right and it, I think it's a lot like life in the sense that like you could do everything right and still fall flat on your face. Sure. But if you didn't do all that stuff to begin with, you had no chance of succeeding in the yeah. in the yeah. first place.
1: Yeah, and that's I think a good way to manage your losses. You just have to say, look, I'm going to play it as good as I possibly yeah. can. Yeah, and it's and one out of a like thousand or one out of ten thousand. It's not yeah. like we said
3: if you if either of us win and put. put 50% of our net worth on a poker tournament, we'd be idiots. Yeah. We're good at poker, but I'd rather put, put that money on black or red on the roulette table. Yeah. Because the odds of beating 8,000 people or whatever the main event would be, are so, they're so skewed against you. Mm-hmm. But if you can play that same tournament a 1,000 times or 10,000 times, then your, your skill is going to win out and you're going to see real profit and it, it would make more sense, which is why bankroll management is almost as important as the skill in poker right. like not putting too much of your money at risk to the point where there's you risk financial ruin but also you can't mentally handle so sure it
1: it's the same thing with trading you know i was uh, my father was a futures trader commodities mm-hmm. trader and you know i would open small accounts and you know just basically get minimum contracts mini contracts and things that i could kind of play around with and really the two things you have to manage are fear and greed yeah, you know, like that's—it's just the name of the game, and your and your stack, you know, because natural volatility will take you out if you you know, if you have too much of a stake at mm-hmm. play, you know, you got to be able to you absorb that shape. and that's why most people lose at these casinos playing anything. Because you know, they go too high. Because they go yeah, they go too high. I mean, if you're and and the, you know, you sit down at a twenty-five dollar blackjack table with hundred dollars, you're gonna lose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, almost every time, even if you're playing perfectly, which gives you what forty-six yeah. percent odds. But or if you like that. if you sit down it's at very, very let's say expensive. a one dollar table exists and you have that hundred dollars, you don't get that same rush
3: as part of the reason. You know what <laughs> like I mean? It's like yeah. that's kind of the whole. Like I'm wasting my goddamn time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But So it's really cool. interesting to find that mix. I mean, that's more when it comes to gambling. With yeah. poker, you can
1: calculate a little bit more. It's, so okay, so let's say you have you have Candyland on one side of the luck scale, where it's just you're just rolling dice, you know, and you just happen to be the machine that's part of that. It's all luck. Yeah. And then you have chess on the other side, no luck, zero luck, all mm-hmm. skill. Yeah. All skill. So where do you think poker? Let's say Candyland's at one, chess is at a hundred. Where do you think poker kind of falls?
3: Are we talking one poker tournament or ten thousand? I think that's the real distinction. With one poker overall, tournament, overall, I think probably.
1: I mean, yeah, I would. I guess, I guess the thing would be every time you sit down. I mean, overall, yeah. you know, luck should even out, so it should be the. We're talking about so the luck. margin being skill. You know, if there's any skill margin, and you extrapolate it over time, then skill. The value goes to one hundred percent. So we have to say it a shorter term. Yeah, sitting down in a sitting down in a poker tournament or a so. I mean, poker I just said I think uh, if
3: I had my last hundred dollars, I would rather put that on black or red than put it in a tr- poker tournament where there's two thousand entrants or something like that. Right.
1: I think my but a, would but be a home but but a
3: home game with seven people, you know, would be yeah. Better I'll, I'll put my money more, on poker or, every day. Yeah. Online game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say it's like a.
2: Se- 78.
1: 78. Yeah. So it's pretty high. I would the say skill, yeah. the skill quotient is well, is pretty high. That I'd means, say that, that you, means someone who's considerably worse than you would win one out of five times against you. Well, if we're playing, well,
2: let's let's say it this way. So let's let's put it this way. It's a little easier to do. So if we're playing five, let's say we're playing ten times. Okay. okay. I would probably if if there was a novice that I was playing, mm-hmm. I would probably beat them. I would imagine. For sure more than five, or else I would not be a winning player. (laughs) I would say probably six to seven out of ten times. Yeah. At the high end. Maybe five. The range would be five to to ten, but more skewed towards ten, I
3: would imagine. That's not exactly what we do though. So as poker players the real end, like, so we play mostly poker tournaments, so let's say there's a thousand people in a tournament, 10% get paid, but mm-hmm. only the final nine really get significant money, and mm-hmm. out of that nine, only the top three really make the, the money that you can sustain a career, essentially. But... If we're if we're heads up with a player, like there's not that much that you can do to leverage your skill. I mean, you can you can outplay them for sure, but it's what Matt said. Maybe six out of ten or seven out of
1: ten. Heads up, heads up is a kind of a unique beast. Yeah, anyways.
3: but look, for example, like every Sunday, there's a two hundred dollar tournament with seven thousand people that gets about two hundred thousand for first. Tenth place probably gets. So you're you're talking about a a massive swing in in profitability just like from the pay jumps from 10th to 1st. So a good poker player, human nature makes people slow down and play more conservative because they want to move from the 4K to the 8K and then from the 8K to the 16K so that they can move up profit-wise, the Mm -hmm. profit um, ladder. But the good player says, everyone else is getting more conservative, I'm going to raise every hand and I'm going to put the fear of God in these people because they're afraid of busting in 10th place and winning only 4K, so they'd rather almost make a worse poker decision but right. potentially survive longer. Yeah. I mean, I've been in, this, in the summer in Vegas where it'll be towards the end of the night and someone will have like six big blinds, which is a very small amount, that's where you, you go all in or you fold, like you don't have any room to really do anything differently. And someone will fold and show me a really good hand, and they'll say that they folded because if they survive to the next day, they can tell their wife they made day two, and it'll <laughs> rationalize them coming to Vegas and spending a thousand or two thousand dollars. And like a so human factor, the reality is they're shooting themselves in the foot. They're costing themselves the chance of making any money in exchange for the equity of being able to tell their wife that they made the second day and like to rationalize why they're in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So. Th- I think a lot of poker, there's the skill element, but there's also just taking advantage of human nature and figuring out when someone's scared and taking advantage of that and figuring out when someone isn't scared and slowing down a little bit because they're not going to slow down. Yeah,
2: There was, um, and one example of that is, uh, back before I hit any big scores, uh, I was in the Sunday million that Jared was talking about. It was a $500 buy-in and the first was like 250,000 and the 18th was maybe like 2,500, right? So, obviously, the money's all on the top. So, I had a choice there. This was one of the biggest po- points in my career where I had a turning point was I said, you know what? Um, all these guys are playing a little conservative now.
1: And what's and so, the- so, wait. So, how many people yeah. were left?
2: So, 18, 18 out, of, left. out of like 2,000.
1: Where was your, where was your stack? In the- I was like
2: kind of in the middle to the lower percentile. Right. And I said to myself, you know what? I could either you know, just play regular poker and hope to get lucky or I could right. just take this and I could just raise every hand and I was like you know what what's the best strategy for combating people that are not playing aggressively well it's to play aggressively against them so that's what I did mm-hmm. and I ended up chopping it it was my first big score we chopped, uh, we chopped up the prize money with five left um, I ended up getting like 130000 or something like that very Which important. is way better than twenty five hundred. If I would have just
3: yeah. well, the whole point sure. to if, if it's twenty five hundred for eighteenth place, you might have to finish eighteenth out of two thousand people a hundred times to make up to make the same amount of money you'd, you'd finish in, yeah, if, if, yeah. You do, if you yeah. do fifth place once. So. so it always pays to err on the side of aggression and to try to get those big payouts because winning a tournament once is way better than taking ninth place ten right. times.
1: Yes, and, and so you, so we haven't really gotten your background. You had a pretty strong finish in the World Series early on, right? Is that right? Uh, or was it another no, big not, tournament?
3: Uh, yes and no. I mean, I so I'm two and a half years younger than Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. Like Matt was really, really exceptional when it came to seeking out quality poker players and, and seeking out advice and talking to them about strategy. Mm-hmm. I was incredibly lucky in the sense that I started playing a lot of online poker, similar to when Matt did it. I guess a year or two later, because I would I would bug him for ten or twenty dollars so I could play like a one dollar <laughs> tournament. He, and every week, and in his defense, he'd, he'd tell me he'd tell me that I shouldn't do that, and then send me the money every time. So like, yeah, you know, he was trying to teach me a lesson, but also being a good older brother. And so I had the luxury of of learning. Matt was almost like a filter for all these other excellent poker players, and I was able to go to hit, like one person directly, my brother, and ask him questions about the game. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I. It all started. I I won like a, I was in college in Montreal, so there was already a, an exchange rate. You know, a dollar U.S. was worth about a dollar thirty in, in sure. uh, Canadian money. So I took a five dollar buy in and I won it for about fifteen hundred dollars, which. Which made me feel like the richest kid on campus. You know that I kept five hundred online. I cashed out a thousand. That turned into thirteen hundred, which was drinking money for the semester. Mm -hmm. Um, And built on it from there. um, My biggest win came the year before the World Series. I um, I took first place in a similar tournament to what Matt was discussing—a two hundred dollar with about four thousand people in it um, for a decent like six figure score. Yeah. Um, Which was, that was the real tipping point. That was when I went from explaining that I was a poker player, you know, to my girlfriend's parents and to friends to to being, to friends being like, you're the poker player. You know, like, your reputation kind of precedes you a little more. And you go from being a degenerate to being a professional poker player. (laughs) That's that's a fine line, by the way. And (laughs) as a poker player, I felt that confidence a year or two before... I arrived or whatever you want to call it. But you just unless you have the results to back it up, it's hard to explain that you're you're doing something that's it's numbers, you're you're doing calculations, percentages and you're kind of making the right decision over and over again. Tell right.
2: me about uh what the experience was in the world series. I think that's an interesting story because you played for like 7 days.
3: Yeah, so um so actually what happened was this was the first World Series of Poker after Black Friday, which is when the Department of Justice indicted a lot of the poker sites and right. essentially kicked them out of the U.S. market. Um, so it was a transitional period. I wasn't, you know, I knew I wanted to keep playing poker, but I just had bought a condo in Austin, in Texas. My girlfriend has a great job in Texas, so it was hard for me to just up and move for six months or a year out of the country. So the world that World Series was a big. Um, kind of transition point for me to, to figure out if poker was something I wanted to pursue yeah. or if there was other options and um, I ended up selling action I sold about 40% of myself in the main event the $10,000 big end of end of uh, the tournament kind of culminating buying so who's
1: buying who's buying at that point for you?
3: well the, the, the CFO <laughs> from Vancouver I mentioned wanted, wanted in a little bit um, Matt, Matt bought some action yeah. and so then friends and
1: family type of
3: friends and family and then um, you can sell online I was lucky that the one friend and family wanted a big chunk and I was able to yeah. sell smaller pieces to, to other poker players online. My brother took some. Um, and then I, I had I basically broken even on the whole summer. Like I had one score that made up for all my losses. So I had a little bit of my own money that I was willing to invest. And that tournament is the epitome of all of the intangible skills you need in poker. Like the patience you require, the, the mental strength, kind of the thinking ahead. The skill is important, but... It's just you i played I busted out on the end of the sixth day, and at the end of the eighth day is when they make the final nine, so I finished seventy third out of seven thousand people, yeah he was on t v it was pretty cool we were we yeah. actually was on t v well, yeah, for a bit, which is that. when I busted out, but um <laughs> it was it was one of those situations where it was phenomenal to go that far. I I learned a lot about my own poker game. It really helped me in the future for selling action because people saw that I had a solid result um, that kind of, you know, vouches for my skill. Um, But yeah, it was just, it was a day in day out grind. And for me, the, what got me through it was, I wasn't thinking about the first place prize pool. Every single hour, I would set a new goal for my chip stack. So if I had, you start with thirty thousand chips, my goal is to get to thirty-five thousand, which is completely attainable. Once yeah. you hit that, you, the goal is fifty thousand. Once you get to fifty, the goal is seventy-five. So I'm
1: setting some short-term goals. It, it kept me
3: f- to to play poker for eight days. You need to have those short-term goals because you're going to lose focus otherwise. Like, right. and and to be completely honest, at the end of the sixth day. I would have made a different decision than I did to bust out. You know, I, if in hindsight, I would have made a different decision. But it's, it's just... just... What, was the, what was the hand that took you out? So I actually got knocked out by the guy who won it all. The guy who won $8.5 uh, months later. Um, but it was... Uh, I, it's probably a little bit too much detail. But basically, a really aggressive German guy raised. Another really aggressive German guy re-raised him. And I had a low pair and about 20 big blinds, which is... In, the, in that tournament, it is not panic mode because the structure is so good that you can really survive a little longer. Yeah. And the second guy, the guy who re-raised, had raised about 15% more than he normally did on his re-raises. So in my mind, I thought he was really frustrated by the other the aggressive German guy who was raising every single hand. Mm-hmm. So I thought I could go all in, get the, the first guy who probably had nothing out, and then get the, the re-raiser out of the pot as well because I thought he was just frustrated with the first guy. And the reality is, like that, that might have worked, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. Like the risk reward wasn't there. Where, yeah. for example, I busted seventy third. If I had folded that hand, I would have busted. Uh, Someone else would have busted in the next ten minutes, and I would have bumped up eighteen thousand dollars from nine, ninety thousand dollars to
1: 100 So it was a costly, fairly low to moderate risk play. So it, the, the reward
3: wasn't worth it for the amount of risk. Right. And, so what
1: happened? So I, so so the German
3: guy called with Ace King, the first Razor, Oops. Which actually, I had a low pair, so that's I have actually even, a fifty-three percent chance with a lot of dead money in the pot. So that would have been great. But the second guy thought for about five or six minutes, almost folded, and then he called with queens, which... He's he's calling with queens kings aces and maybe ace king, but he's folding jacks tens and nines. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was right on the cusp where I actually would have beat ace king. Yeah, yeah if the guy folded, with if, if blind, the queens folded, which, which is he, could he very well could have. Like he was really pained to do it, and he made a great call. He tripled up and he ended up winning the entire tournament. So that was a key moment. So for it was him. a really yeah key moment for him. I actually talked to him uh, this past summer, and it was really funny because he said that he would have rather he would have rather won a $5 million pot in Macau where no one knew about it than win the $8 million and have, be the face of the World Series of Poker and sure. deal with all the publicity and, and, and yeah,
0: you're,
1: you're a real-deal celebrity if you Yeah, uh, absolutely. Remember and he's
3: Nobody a, remembers second.
1: His name is Pete <laughs> Hines. He's,
3: he's a great guy. Um, like, really, really good guy. And um, I was happy for him, but obviously I would have much rather spiked a four and, and won, the tur- or won the hand and gone on yeah. farther.
2: But that's just like kind of tournament poker in a nutshell. It's like one decision... Over sure. seven days, yeah, can be it, sure. and that's why poker's. That's why I love poker so much is because I like that. I like kind of trying to figure out how not to mess up. So,
1: and that's been that's been a, a real part of your journey is kind yeah. of mastering the the emotional kind of intangible spirit, almost spiritual, you could say, Absolutely. side of yeah. of poker. So so what's a little bit of some of those lessons that you've learned along your your journey there?
2: Well. um... You know, there was, uh, maybe maybe I can sum it up in, in one hand, uh, and then I'll talk more about it. Uh, last summer during the World Series, is sort of the first summer, I, I started like listening to my instincts. Mm-hmm. Like, just listening to the, to the first instinct I had, and that was what I did. And
1: and this is after, you're saying last summer, you'd had a lot of big scores yeah. and a lot of big successes. Right. I think you look online, what are you at, 1.6 million in earnings or something like that? Uh, like three. Three about, million, I'm yeah. sorry I cut you in yeah. half. Maybe it's that okay. was a, little, yeah. you know, a while ago when I checked no, those no stats. Worries, but, it, no but it's, you know, and probably only a, a portion of that has been. You know, since then, so this is a fairly late decision. Yeah. In there.
2: Well, you know, I, I have um, kind of a, a mentor figure that kind of bounce ideas off, and, and one of the things was that he told me that kind of rung true with me was uh, you always got to reshape your game; you can never be comfortable with it. Right. So, so do you
1: think that finally you got to the point where your instincts were good enough to trust, or right, yeah. should you have been trusting them all along?
2: Well, I probably should have been trusting them all along, <laughs> but um, that's sort of the first time when I realized, like, you know what? Like, maybe there's more for me at least. Maybe there's more to this game than odds and and you know cans and and situations maybe it's like you know maybe like you can kind of tell what's going to happen in your gut and maybe right. just avoid those right. situations right so one of those situations that happened last year was i had a, a hand a mediocre hand and i had the dealer button which is the most powerful position you can sure. have and last uh, act last Do act it. right you get information for anybody else and uh I had jack-eight of diamonds, which is one of my favorite hands, and I raised there probably 95% of the time, just in general.
1: Only diamonds?
2: Uh, <laughs> any suited, <laughs> or even maybe off well, actually, that's a lot, I, I don't want to tell people I'm such a maniac, but anyway, I'm a maniac, alright, fine. Anyway, uh, so I normally would raise there, like nine, nine and a half times out of ten, and something in my head was just like, fold. He hit, so there's a big hand behind you. Just literally, that's what happened in my head. And I was like, all right, you know what? Instead of going against that, like I've been yeah. doing my whole yeah, life, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to fold it. And and that's it. And what happened was uh, I folded and the small blind folded and the big blind chuckles. And I'm like, uh-oh, was I right? And he flips over two kings. And I'm like, he's like, oh, I never get action on these. And I'm just like, I didn't say a word. I was just like, holy crap. Yeah. And it's not like I do that every hand. That's just like something that came. So... I just tried to become So at, more, at that yeah. point
1: all right at that yeah. point it is this you reading some kind of subtle cues that you know you're observing but not cognitive of or is this something a little bit more esoteric where you're kind of reading an energy field that's almost non-perceptible
2: I would say the latter yeah. definitely the latter because it's it's just a weird thing man it's like it's 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 weird even talking about it sometimes because you know most people are like what are you talking about right but it's like, I feel like now I'm out of my head to the point where I can kind of start noticing what's going on around me and like the energy or whatever is ha- whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I think that, yeah, it's mostly just a feeling I get. And it has nothing to do with, with what they're doing. You know, it has nothing to do with their cars, It has nothing to do with any of
3: that.
1: Yeah.
2: It just has
3: to do with, do I think, do I feel, do I feel good about this hand yeah. or do I not?
1: And yeah.
3: That's it. It's like that simple. Well, that was the biggest mistake, the guy who flipped his hand over it did was you should never provide other players with positive reinforcement you know he encouraged my brother to make that sort of fold he he showed him that he made the right fold by showing his two kings and mm-hmm. like as a poker player you should try to guard the information you give out as much as
1: possible right or and it's strategically strategically it, but i want to i want to get back to get back to this topic because yeah. i actually had a long discussion um, with Sorel mitzi about mm-hmm. about this and He is very much Adam. At least he was at the time. I know he's been doing some different things, and his perspective is shifting as he goes. But he was very much on the mechanistic side of poker. Like there's, I would say that he would say, "You just got lucky." You know, there was no. And I would probably take that. He would. He would say. He would say basically, you know, you have those instincts all the time, like a psychic or something like that. You know, it's just some kind of. But you know, I've felt and seen things that just can't explain. It's hard to explain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. And even in uh, even doing things that are very much luck based, you know, in a casino, you get weird things that happen. You get weird instincts that oh, this is exactly what's going to happen. And and then it happens. And then there was actually a time I was sitting I was, I was actually waiting for Rogan in yep. the MGM casino. And I was, you know, pretty alert I, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. I was looking forward to hanging out, but I was killing time. He was about 15 minutes away. So I'm watching this roulette wheel go. And I say, just usually no numbers come to my head. I suck at it. I lose it, that mm-hmm. thing constantly. I forget what number it was, but let's say it was 17. I was like, oh, the next one's going to be 17. Boom, 17. Like, fuck. I should have bet on that. You know, I'm just sitting around killing time. And the next one, was like, and yeah, next one's 32. Boom, 32. I'm like, fuck. And these numbers were coming easily. Yeah. Like, they're just, that doesn't normally happen. You know, it's not like I'm all the time looking at a roulette wheel and saying, saying a number. And so, by sheer odds of me doing this several thousand times, you know, it's going to happen where I'm right, and those are the ones I'm going to remember. I just can't accept that. Like, the numbers came in. And the same thing happens with craps. Like, you'll get on a roll, you'll get a feeling where you just know. That you're gonna win. We played in Atlanta. Yeah, that we time. played like in like Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's weird stuff that goes out there, and I know you know people can bring up there's long-standing challenges where you get a million dollars if you can prove some kind yeah. of supernatural event on one side, but then you have the other people with these random number generators on the other side, and this, this whole conflicting mess but yeah. I tend to agree with you is that there is a little something more to the fabric of just pure odds I think and it's when you,
2: when you attach a meaning to something it's harder to, to see it you know like for example if you were betting big money on there I mean I don't know you're probably comfortable begging, but if you're betting it's different than if you're just looking kind of just totally you know what I mean
1: totally. and, and
2: I think it's like you get kind of clouded for me personally so I, I get clouded um, when I have, when, I have when, when the what's the best way to say this when I am focused on my intent rather than the outcome, mm-hmm. it seems to happen better. Mm-hmm. Like it seems to be more clear to me.
1: And but, it's hard to not focus on the outcome when you have too much money. Exactly. exactly.
2: And that's why I think a lot of people slow down in tournaments like what we were talking about before. It's like when there's 18 left, why do they suddenly just... When <laughs> it's most important to not slow down, exactly. why do they? And it's like, look, if you're going to enter a tournament... And I even do it sometimes still. But I have to catch myself and say, you know what, if you want this, take it. That's what I say every time. If you want it, take it. Stop, you know, just expecting that you playing the same poker they're playing, you're going to win because that's just luck. Right. That's luck, right? So, um, I I definitely think there's something to it. And I definitely think every day I'm I'm picking up something new and, and I know that, um, you know the guy that that kind of is my mentor he he just knows these things like he's like just in tune with it and it's it's, it's hard to explain but he just like he's called me I told Jared this the other day and and Jared and I differ on this you know he's more mathematical I'm more kind of I don't know what you want to call it just feel based or whatever flow based or whatever flow based exactly um what was I just saying I just lost my mind your mentor yeah so he called me twice when I was having really bad days going through a breakup and uh and, and one time not going through a breakup, just random. And he called me twice, and the first thing he said to me was, what's wrong? And something had happened that day both times where I was just like, "Sure, you know. And I was just like, wait, what? First thing he said was, what's wrong? It's like there's some level that I don't think we've tapped into just yet.
1: Well, that's, uh, there's definitely that level. And you know, I, I think it's not enough of a big deal has been made about even the physics discovery of quantum entanglement. Where Are you guys familiar with that?
2: No, it's in light mass. Well,
1: um, they basically take two linked photons. And these photons rotate in a certain way. Um, and, and so they can separate them by put one, on, put one in Germany, put one in the United States. Move it all the way across the world. They can influence one of the photons to change its direction. And the other linked photon will instantly, with no time lapse, change its direction as well. So it's called quantum entanglement. So and it's just a proven it's a proven fact of physics. So it just everybody treats this like oh look at this quirky thing, look at this old quirky funny little fact. Well, how the fuck is that happening? Like there needs to be a further explanation. It's not just an anomaly, and you put it in the anomaly box. What's that saying is that there's another dimensional plane that doesn't have time, that doesn't have space, that doesn't require other things that can affect communication. That's the only plausible explanation for quantum entanglement, but nobody yeah. wants on the scientific front wants to push it that far. Mm-hmm. But then other people will, will look at it and maybe want to take it too far, you know, yeah. and say, and say something else. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly, I think the bridge between science and spirituality is going to, they're going to start finding connections so and it's yeah. just, we're a little bit early mm-hmm. on that. but. You know, you you do enough experiences like I have out in the jungle in the middle of nowhere and, you know, things start to feel a lot more like Avatar where, you know, everything is connected. And then you notice a discovery like quantum entanglement and you start to see it and it starts to poke holes in this scientific theory of, you know, pure materialism and Mm -hmm. cause and effect. On, I think it's, on this plane I think it's
2: just getting out of your own way I mean there's so many there's so many thoughts that roll through your head on a daily basis you're so caught up you can't actually like just stop and smell the roses as they say you know mm-hmm. what I mean
1: um, well that's that's living in the moment that's yeah, exactly. that's that's that power of now you know being perfectly present which is important for poker or as you know I know you're a, a coach for some MMA fighters we have time we'll get into that mm-hmm. but the the crux of you know as far as from what I've talked to you about that you're teaching them is just Full, be fully yeah, it's present. Talk about in the moment. moment. I mean, the power is like the fucking book. The power of now. You I know told, it is in the now. Yeah, I
2: told. That's one of the things I told Martin Kentman when I was talking to him about, you know, working together. I said I saw you in one of your fights go somewhere else. Yeah, that's what I said. To him. Yeah, and he he knew what I was talking about. He didn't want to admit it, but he kind of knew. That's why I think he accepted, you know, the the coaching.
1: That's it. And you know, I've I've seen the opposite where. <clears throat> You know, one of my best friends is Roger Huerta, and, um, you know, he has his, when he's had his best fights is when he's gotten the rawest, and so that fight happened with Clay Guida. He was getting kind of beat up, he took some hard shots, and the start of the third round, he just got to a place where his shields were completely down, you know, and he was fully just a raw a raw fighter in the moment. was just being and he was just dude, being what he being. came back and he you know, he won that fight in dramatic fashion. Cleggley in is, that third round. No pushover. Either. No pushover. And at that moment you could see his he was shook up, you know, because he allowed something fully uncontrolled in his being. And he had a tough past and a lot of emotional challenges and things. Something completely uncontrolled to come out. Yep. You know, and he was he was emotional and 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 that was his greatest one of his greatest moments and then you know towards the latter part of his career he hasn't had as much success and I think part of the reason why is he's been scared of that raw moment where he lets all of his guard down and just is able to release what's truly inside which is a very you know tumultuous experience
2: well that's kind of what it all is about I mean with Martin you know I won't go into specifics but he was very open and, mm-hmm. and that's hard to do as a fighter sometimes mm-hmm. it's, I mean, you know, you're a fighter, you're not supposed to be emotional, you're not supposed right. to let people know what's really going on inside your head. But, but I'll tell you what, man, there was something about him when he let that stuff out and just was, was there.
1: Yeah. You know, it was yeah. great. It's interesting. So that applies to, you know, all, all elements, I think is just really being present, you know, being in the moment.
2: Well, you know, you could argue that there's no, there's no past when you're really in the moment because... And no future. Yeah, exactly. And because, it's because you, when you're not entangled by past things, then you're free to be, like you're free to recreate the book that you're doing. You know what I mean? Like right. I was talking about poker, you always have to recreate, you know, wherever you're in, business, right? You got to recreate your site every once in a while, right? Sure. To, to you know, to, to maximize it. So um, it's, it's a really interesting topic that I think is, is getting more um, notice, As of recent. And I'm I'm just psyched to to be a part of it.
1: Do you think there could be a... You know, almost like an X-Men situation where (laughs) someone gets really fucking good. Like The Matrix. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or any one of these superhero kind of scenarios where... If this phenomenon is real and if people are pushing back towards opening. I mean, it's possible that this happened in the past. And like the stories of wizards and these mystics like Rasputin and other Mm -hmm. these different people. And there's still stories now. I haven't really investigated any on a particularly personal level, so I can't speak to them. But you hear of like John of God and all these people. Who knows what the fuck they're doing, if it's anything real. And, you know, there's other these Chinese healers that are supposedly materializing medicine out of their hand. I'm pretty sure they're David Blaine and mm-hmm. they're just, you know, putting on a show. But, you know, I do believe in the underlying phenomenon. So it seems reasonable to believe that someone could come along that really can intuit and read, you know, the energy field, whatever you want to call it, so not, and really dominate. Poker. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. If they decided well, to. Yeah. Look, I
2: mean, the the thing about that that and you're on to something for sure, because with poker and, and it can't just be the odds. The same guys are deep
3: every time. Mm-hmm.
2: You got a handful of guys that are winning all the money.
3: Well, I'd also argue there's there's probably quite a few successful poker players that are probably mild Asperger's or, you know, have, have some sort something that would be right. characterized as their brain functions in a different way from from a normal human being, and I mean you could look at Asperger's as a, as a mental illness, but you can also look at a lot of the incredible inventions and creativity that can come out of something like that um, so I mean you, you could argue that we are here or even a lot of you know a lot of prophets or, or people who could see the future back uh, like hundreds of years ago. you could also argue that they were just what we define as mentally ill now right. and it's what you know what kind of um, label you want to put on that, whether it's someone who can t- see another dimension and and interact with that and bring it to this world, or whether it 's someone who literally just has you know a few chromosomes or, or molecules that are yeah because you
1: know i've i've been twice to a certain state of being mm-hmm. um, and I had to have help i 'm not naturally that gifted at getting there on my own, but twice once. When the aboga experience and once in particular during the ayahuasca experience where I felt like I was tapped into fully a different plane where I could see things in a crystal clear level, get answers, get access to that on a certain level. I'd be interested for just scientific inquiry to see, you know, to see how far that extends, you know, when you're in that state. But the problem is it's so hard to reproduce that state. You don't know you're in it until you're in it. You know what I'm saying? So, so the, the study design doesn't make sense. You know, like they did some study where, I think it was actually on the Joe Rogan experience. They had some physicists trying to debunk being in the zone. I was, I was, yeah. a, he was trying to debunk being in the zone. Yeah. So his criteria for being in the zone, they were doing it with basketball, was you make two shots in a row. You know, are you more likely to make your third? Well, I can make ten fucking shots in a row. Doesn't mean I'm in the zone. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll tell you when I'm in the goddamn zone. <laughs> you know, like don't look at the fucking stat sheet and try and tell me when I'm in the zone. It's an intangible thing. I can miss a shot and be in the zone. That's not the point. Yeah. You know, usually the results follow. Yes. But being in the zone is a state of being that is subjective. You know, and so these study designs fail, and they're like, see, see, there's no such thing as a zone. No, yeah, I'm like you're fucking. Well, out. Like you haven't mind. seen Steph Curry drop 54 no. at the garden the other night. There's a zone, man. No, yeah. even, even
3: a yeah. really small example is I was um, over the holidays. Not a WNBA
1: player, <laughs> Steph
2: <Curry>. no, no, <laughs> no, 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 Dale Del Curry's uh, son. He's Dale like a really Cole's good three-point shooter. Yeah. yeah, he
1: hit. Uh,
2: I think it was uh, 12 of 13 from three during that game. <laughs>
1: We'd have to
3: ask him, but there's a very yeah, good chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, is, uh, even this past holiday, I was in Costa Rica. I was in the pool with um, with a friend of mine, and we were throwing the frisbee around. And this this little kid who's like eight or nine years old, he comes over, and we're throwing to him. He's catching it, but he's afraid to throw it back to us. Right. We we try to work on it. We try to get him to do it, and eventually, he's he's ready to throw it to us. And he goes, "I'm gonna fail, or I'm gonna mess it up." And he throws it, and it you know it goes five feet to the right and hits a wall and he failed and he messed up and we we literally sat him down and said don't like don't put that out there like just clear your mind and just throw the frisbee and for the rest of the day he had a great time and he never threw it off again but it just shows how powerful it can be if if you tell yourself you're going to fail or if you have those fears how it manifests itself it does become a reality sure um as far as like the connection or a greater human connection goes. I've always joked, and I think there's a hint of truth to it, that I think I would be great at playing poker if I was on mushrooms. Because you just feel like a little more connected. I you believe feel a little it. more aware of what Fuck, everyone's yeah. doing. And you yeah. just... You pick up on those, those cues and those like very, very subtle... And why details.
1: haven't you tried it, is the better
3: question. I, uh, I, I actually am not sure. It would be, it, that would be a more reasonable experiment, I think, than finding out who's in the zone. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure, because that's, I think, it's at least, well, actually, at least gives you a little bit of a leg no, up.
3: Um, a, a buddy
1: of... So you get you're, you guys are volunteering, I see, right now. All right, we're going you, you to You've heard, me, you've heard it do do here it. on the Warrior Poet Project. But even... We're um, going even to sponsor these guys. When,
0: <laughs> one time, randomly,
1: for those who are looking to hate on our strategy. Whatever one I win, I'll just say. <laughs> but no, Matt finished um, final
3: five or six in a four-handed tournament this summer. None. Or what did you finish? Yeah, like 23rd. Oh, I'm sorry, 23rd. He went deep in it. And yeah. one of the guys who um, is a mutual friend of a lot of my friends, who also went deep, and I think he finished in the final six or seven, the entirety of the second day, which is when you really are moving chips and you're making like true moves against mm-hmm. some of the better players, he, he had a weed brownie before his session. Right. And he just said he was just in the zone. like He was just relaxing the whole time. I'm
1: glad just, that works for him, because for me, that's whoa. one fucking substance. When I eat weed, not that I've ever done that, of course, because it's Allegedly, illegal. Yeah. Allegedly, when yeah. I eat weed... Um, Fuck, man. It's like a. It just does not treat me well.
3: Well, I would I would you like know, it.
1: Like, it's just kind of distracting a little bit. It's fun because it's an altered state. I think with like, that, it depends how often you do it or yeah. how good it like is. But, like, Joe, Joe Rogan or Joey Diaz can eat the fuck out of some yeah. weed, and they're, like, in the zone and smooth and, <laughs> yeah, he, and uh, good to go, he, you
0: know?
3: I would almost argue that, like, a, taking weed brownies is almost like a very mild mushroom trip like you,
1: you know wrong like, <laughs> wrong denied denied try you're again come again another time
3: i guess it hits everyone differently but I don't, yeah. I don't react to weed brownies so if i take a bunch i just kind of get that body tingling feeling like I, my mind isn't really racing but it's if i've taken a small amount of mushrooms i kind right. of can feel it in my fingertips sure, but my, it's, my it's, mind is pretty clear yeah and that's what i mean when i'm comparing sure. the two
1: sure yeah, I mean... Uh, it comes down to qual- oh, dose, I think, yeah. when
3: you talk about any of that
1: stuff. I mean, it's it's really a, a curious thing. I'd be very interested to kind of test that out. And there's the the other... I mean, mushrooms is one way, but, you know, obviously that's a... Mushrooms are very malleable, and I think that's one of the things that would make it good for this experiment. Would be that you can kind of direct the attention of mushrooms. I feel like to whatever you're doing, you can yeah. direct it to dancing. You could direct it to introspection. You can direct it to. That's why they are a pretty good, um, you know, a pretty good recreational psychedelic. If yeah. you're going to use it in that way, which I always encourage people to use them in a spiritual context, but. Like ayahuasca, for example, no recreational use for that at all. Nobody just does that and it's like, hey, let's have a fucking class tonight. You know, I mean, you gotta you gotta really prepare yourself for that. But mushrooms would be a good candidate. I think the a small dose of iboga could be a really powerful one too, which is actually legal in Canada. Oh, oh, snap! So and Mexico. Oh, oh, yeah. So you see, so then then you know, I don't think do they actually play. Face to face turn because one of the in issues Mexico? one of the issues I've had I think these things would get kind of wacky and not work as well on an online. I player. completely agree because the only time I'm at all good at poker is because I played some online and I played some face to face, and I'm decent at face to face poker, and it's because I feel like I'm in touch with a natural sense of weakness or strength, mm-hmm. and so actually players that are pretty good, not like super excellent players, I, they always beat me, but like players that are better than me, probably, I'll actually play better than an often beat because I'm relying on them to give me the cue of how mm-hmm. strong they are compared to me. And I can read that pretty accurately and they can read the rest of the table and understand that. So it's like I'm, I'm tapping into their knowledge base by determining what their thoughts are of strength and weakness yeah. and then acting on that, on that cue. But if I'm playing with a bunch of duffs, you know, they don't know if they're strong or oh. weak. They can think they're strong as shit and really they're weak. So if I tap into them, they don't know what they're right or wrong.
3: Oh, with. my so. girlfriend and I will have like a $10 poker tournament and we invite friends over. Yeah. And everyone assumes that I'm just going to clean up. And you can't play against people who don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good you, know, you can't outplay someone who yeah. has no clue what they're doing. Like I, there was a time where I once thought someone was really weak, so I bluffed them with nothing. They painstakingly thought for like two or three minutes and finally called. They thought they had a pair of 10s and they had a flush. So, like, <laughs> so they, they called me with a worse hand they, and they did it anyway. And then it turned out they didn't even know what they had. So you can't really trust a, a novice player yeah. like, when you're getting a read that they're nervous or they're excited or not.
1: Yeah. And not, and again, not caring about the money is another big yeah. thing. I was I was out um, I was with Heath and Sarah out in Vegas and I was playing a tournament at some, I think the Fitz. Some really shitty casino right. in, in Old Town. And um, I was more there to just hang out with them. And so I was having you know, a lot of drinks. And they wanted to do this, so I was going to do it. And that was my way to sit at the table and yeah, bullshit yeah. with them and hang. And I was playing completely loose. Like, I didn't give a fuck. Like, I was just as happy to bust and whatever. But I ended up chopping that tournament with, with the winner, you know, because I was just... Loose, and I was playing. The bluffs were coming easy. Yeah. It was like just doing whatever I could, and that was a real eye opener for me. Isn't
2: that like the key, like life, though? It's like if you don't, like if you don't attach yourself to an outcome, you're way more free to to, to play and to create and to have fun, right? So it's like. You you didn't care that time. Yep. If you cared that time, I would argue you
3: may have chopped it, no. but it would have been right. no, way, <laughs> no, you, would no just want, you would just want to be at the table. You would have like winded down and just not have. The...
1: Well, no, I would have. I would have started thinking about it. Exactly, I would yeah. have got nervous. Thinking I is, would have. Yeah. I would have. You know, hesitated when the move. You know, it's not about what you do, but it's about how you do it. You know, when you pick this up and your heart's not even racing, you're like, fuck it, I'll move that stack in there. Yeah. You know, that's what you do when you're really calm. you know, so just acting like that is the difference. Whereas if I was tight, I would have been thinking about it. I should have no, I should oh it's too late. Oh shit, it's too late. Oh fuck it, I gotta do it anyways. And then you move in and it's a totally different play. When I
3: lived in Montreal and I was first starting out, um there were often times where I would start playing at nine PM after a night class and just and register through Midnight or 1 a.m., and there was a midnight tournament, a $75 buy-in that would get about $6,000 for first. You know, a few hundred people in it, and it would end at 4:30 or 5 in the morning. I have won that tournament more than any other tournament in my life. I, I, pro- I think I won it four or five times because mm-hmm. around 3 a.m., my brain would just shut off, and I would yeah. just be clicking buttons. And like, it wasn't like I was just getting lucky, but that thought process in between what I knew I wanted, what Matt talked about, which is going with your gut or just like your first read. There was just no second thoughts in my head, and I was just clicking buttons. And then, before you know it, your heads up. Yeah, and you're that on, Zen and you're like, principle, of,
1: the Zen principle of no mind. You yeah. know,
3: you know, interesting to to build on that. Um,
2: in my previous games, going playing like 10, 12 hour days, sometimes I used to be exhausted at the end of it because mm-hmm. I was thinking about everything, and I was just being a cerebral cerebral poker player. What's changed in the past year, and I talked about this with my mentor, it's hilarious. Like. I played a 12 hour day and I was fresh at the end of it. Just completely fresh. And I was like, what is this? He's like, well, thinking hurts your head a lot, man.
3: <laughs> like basically he says, like, you it's know, stop man. thinking he told <laughs> like, yeah. 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 you stupid.
1: Know, one, one thing your mentors said to you, then you reiterated to me, which I've always kind of remembered and I was reminded, um, I was reminded the other day I was out and you know, somebody who's. Known me through other friends. I've never really known him. Mm-hmm. You know, he looks at me and he looks me pretty earnestly in the eye and says, "So I, I have a question for you." He said, "So how does it feel?" You know, and I, and I know what he meant. You know, Onnit's been very successful, and especially for this Austin group. You know, he's seen me basically move from you know a variety of different projects, flashlight, other different things, yeah. to having a very yeah. successful company, and obviously. You know, my girl's fantastic. I have many, many blessings in my life. But I think the answer he wanted was oh my God, it's fucking like unreal. I would have never, you know. But the truth of the matter is, it took me getting to the point where I really expected this to happen. And this was no surprise to me. And that's like the secret, you know. And, and I do feel very blessed. But the secret, for me is that I always kind of knew this was coming
2: it wasn't a big surprise
1: it wasn't a exactly. surprise you know and and that was something that your mentor said to you and, and you can finish off the story but basically what he said to you about winning the big tournament
2: is well, I
1: think what he said basically he said you asked him you know I don't know if you asked him but you know when am I going to win the world series and he told you he said you win the world series when it's not that big a deal right, exactly. for you to win the world exactly, Series. exactly
2: yeah so he basically said like um you can't put meaning on things like you just have to like be there and you have to just like, you know, just trust yourself. And, and when you focus on, you know, what we we're talking about before, when you focus on just the, the process, the end comes mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's just it, the meaning we put on it. It also, it's like, it brings me back to, to high school. When you see that beautiful girl that you think you can't have, you put her up on this pedestal and there's no pedestal. You're creating the pedestal. Mm-hmm you could just go up to her and say, hey, you want to go up? And she'd probably say yes, because all the other guys were looking at her and saying nothing to her. And yeah. it kind of goes back to that. It's like, and I still am and, and guilty of this sometimes. I still place a lot of meaning on, on tournaments it's, sometimes. You know, it's hard. It's hard. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a learning process. It's yeah. a process.
1: It's, it's, it's one of the life, one of life challenges exactly. to just really, to really do that. But I think there's something to be said for, you know, exactly that example he uses. I mean, at the point where you're ready, that whether you win or lose, it's no big deal, and even winning is no big deal. That's, that's when. Yep. That's when you're gonna exactly. win. Exactly. You know, and when you know, for me, it took me getting to the point where, um, you know, creating a really successful enterprise would be, you know, basically, I feel like I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Well, know? it's as easy it's, as or
2: hard as you make it, right?
1: Right. Just humbly going in and just doing what I'm supposed to do, and when these. Great things happen which from the outside this person who didn't know me you know wants to wants me to react like I won the lottery no you know no i'm you know I feel very blessed, but this was well this was part of the fucking that plan, happens, that happens you know?
3: in poker a lot where acquaintances they see or they hear about the big win that you have so yeah. they might hear that Matt won one hundred thirty thousand dollars they don't experience the like the terrible sessions where everything goes wrong and you lose you money they run, don't they don't you know, know that they don't think about the taxes you're paying on that money or the money you lost leading up to that score and they just see that that result and think that it was it came
1: so easy because if that result came down on a parachute to them (laughs) they would be flipping out doing the jig dancing but they hadn't taken I think there's a
3: certain demographic of people that they that make a lot of excuses and they're almost making an excuse when they ask you how it feels because it's like all this lucky stuff happened to Aubrey like how does it feel to be so lucky and like um, it takes luck to to be successful, but it also takes a whole lot of hard work. And like, yeah, the luck comes with it, but all you can control is the time that you put into each project. Well, I mean, as you said, you you've been here what two days out of the three months?
2: Yeah, traveling. And that's do, it. You know, Working. Oh work.
1: yeah, I mean it's it's a, it's a grind emotionally and physically and all that. But it's also you know look, I'm I'm getting to do exactly what. I would want to do if I was going to carve it out. I mean, Dana White has a pretty sweet job too, yeah, but yeah. you know, <laughs> other than like a few specific cases, you know, Rogan's got a good gig, of yeah, course. Yeah. But you know, there really, was a
3: time where it wasn't that good. You know, it right, wasn't oh, as course,
1: good as it looks. Of course, exactly. of course, and it's, even still, it's not. You yeah. know, it's I mean, I've seen how hard these guys work, and everybody. There's another side to all of that as well. But you know, look, I'm really living. I mean, I'm living the dream. But I think that the key thing that I remember is that. Um, you know, you achieve these things, it's kind of uh, almost, almost unfortunate. But when you achieve them at the point you achieve them, you know, you've been expecting to achieve them for a long time because you've had the confidence and the belief, you know, like Bruce Lipton saying in the power of belief, you've believed that that's where you were going to go. That's where you were going to be for so long that if you truly believe that you're going to get somewhere, which is the only way you are going to get somewhere by the time you get there, You know, it's not a surprise anymore. Well, even
3: that big poker win I mentioned, like I said, in the eyes of a lot of people around me, it changed. I went from a degenerate to a poker player. But in my mind, for a year or two before, I I knew that
1: I had that skill. You knew you were there. I knew I was there. I didn't have the results to prove it, but I knew that I had the skill to do it. That's that's key. Belief.
2: Yeah. And to add on to what he said about that, um, he basically said it has to not mean anything to you. Yeah. Like and I was like, wait a second. I was like, hang on. I was like, so I wouldn't get the rush of of winning. He's like, no, no. It just just means that you could have it or not have it, and it's fine. (laughs) And and I was just like, whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. But it's true. It's like when when I don't care, when I don't look at prize pools, is when I win. Mm -hmm. When I look at prize pools, is when I don't do as well. And it's like that with business. It's like that with anything. It's like you almost have to expect it to happen. And it has to not be the end of the road for you. It just has to be a normal thing
3: in your life. And and that comes back to what we said about the end game of poker is where you really make all your money. Because human nature is for people to to slow down and get more conservative and think about the first place prize pool and and play worse as a result. So when you're in that deep, deep in a tournament, if you can turn that off and you can just think about how do I play this hand to take advantage of everyone else at the table you're going to have the results that come with it without necessarily... Thinking about the the first place prize pool, yeah. you know, it, it comes when it's out of your mind, not when it's the first thing that you're thinking about. I, I especially
1: think that mushrooms would be good for that because when you start <laughs> thinking about money, on mushrooms. So I just like, don't know that I could oh, sit, sit.
3: Could I sit still for eight hours or whatever? That would be I think the biggest issue is you're sitting for two or for
1: an hour and fifty five minutes out of every hey, two look, hours. There's only one way to try. Yeah. You you know, there's, there's the challenge. You know, we won't tell people when, but you know, yes. I think it's I think it's <laughs> worth giving a try, <laughs> or the aboga. Small doses. Don't want to go over the top. You're going to be, a world, to <laughs> going to be a world of hurt. If you do a little and bit of a overshoot if you overshoot on the bit experience you're you are going to be in <laughs> trouble. Oh, <well. laughs> you
3: don't want to puke not the
1: table no, a that's, that's, on yeah, that's not table. a little bit not a you can't even see anything. Like yeah, yeah. of it's, it's it's a little bit of a little bit of a little bit Yeah,
3: whatever, whatever it is. bit of a little Yeah, whatever a little bit on the table.
1: Well, Vengan Brothers, this was a real pleasure to have you on. Um, Where can people find you if they want to uh, hear more? You got some Twitter accounts. You got any blogs or anything like that you want to tell people about?
3: Uh, No blogs right now, I'm I'm J on Twitter, Matt's...
2: Matt Vangren on Twitter, uh, buy Poker with a Purpose, it's $10, 20 of the best poker players in the world, 100% of the money goes to charity. Also, we've been writing uh, articles... Poker
1: with a Purpose, purpose. where can they get that?
2: Amazon.com, it's only uh, an e-book because the charity we chose this time was Planting Trees, so it made sense (laughs) not to cut them down to make it. Makes sense.
3: We've also been writing a lot of articles for Ultimate Poker, oh, yeah. so, which is a site that Matt can tell you actually more about Yeah, it. thanks
2: for mentioning that. So, uh, Ultimate Poker, we're writing some articles now for Ultimate Poker, which is uh, the, owned by the Fertitas, I believe. I mean, it's their company. Mm-hmm. Uh, Station Casino owners, uh, great guys from what I hear, and... Uh, Lucky to be in that boat.
1: Lorenzo is a avid Alpha Brain user. Is he? Also, he is. as I know, you guys are quite familiar with. Yes. But uh, yeah, he he raves about that stuff. We got to get Dana on it, and maybe he'll waive the UFC um, sponsorship fee. To- yeah, no, <laughs> no <laughs>
0: kidding. Right? Well, I will say this:
2: it definitely makes a difference for poker for sure it yeah. just it just makes things like my thoughts it makes them more clear It just makes it like my my gut comes to me quicker than normal i don't have to wade through all the bullshit thoughts that go through the head it just yeah kind of, you know helps with that
1: so, right on right yeah. on well thanks guys as of always uh warrior poet project is brought to you by on O n n i t. o-n-n-i-t.com you can use my personal code warrior to save 12 percent and trump everybody else why because i can <laughs> CodeWarriorOnIt.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back again soon. Hopefully, I'll get this new podcast studio done, and uh, we'll be back to the full video audio experience as you're used to.
3: Aubrey, one more question.
1: Shoot. How's it feel? Ah, <laughs> uh, wish I could
0: tell you. <laughs> <Not that laughs> feels good. It feels good. No doubt about it. I feel very blessed. All right, guys. Take care.